0: That being said, take your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses, then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to preach. And we're going to trust the Lord to do a great work. Uh, Look at verse 18 with me. This is where we left off last week. Luke is telling the story. Luke. Luke the author. Luke the historian. Luke the disciple. Luke the doctor. By vocation, he was a physician. Very methodical in his thinking. And so when Luke writes down what Luke wrote, he says, this is intended, just so you know where I'm going, it's intended to make you certain of the things you've been instructed. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not good advice of Jesus Christ, okay? It's good news. It's what he's done. And so Luke tells the whole story from the beginning. As a matter of fact, of all the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke starts the earliest and ends the latest in his narrative. Goes the biggest span I'm not going to say Luke's the smartest of those guys, but Luke was the smartest of those guys. Okay, everyone has different gifts. He was the smartest. And when it was his turn, he's like, I'm going to write this down for the smart people, okay? For the critics, for the thinkers, for the ones who need a little extra motivation to go all in, to say, this is it. This is my turn. This is my time to commit my life to God. And who knows what God's going to do with me? Maybe like Daniel Fusco, I'll be in my own deal, jamming my own tunes, and then God wants to use me for something greater. Who knows what God wants to do with your life, but Luke tells us this story, and he tells us and shows us the different responses of men and women throughout. Everyone has a different response. You realize that, right? I can't respond for you. You cannot respond for me. Your parents can't respond for you, kids, and you kids can't respond for your parents. A matter of fact, at the very end of the service, we're going to take communion. I would never try and take your communion and chew it for you. It'd be totally weird. You got to chew your own. It's you. It's you. It's you, and you're here today. So I'm going to read three verses, then I'm going to pray. It says this. And those who heard it, that's what you're doing right now, marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. These three responses. Some marveled, some pondered, and some heralded. All good responses to the truth of Jesus Christ. To ponder what he said. Maybe that's where you're at today. You're going to leave and go, I don't know, man. That guy on stage sure looked funny. He sure yelled a lot. He sure was excited about something. I don't know. I'm pondering this. Or maybe you're going to go and say, I've never seen it that way. And you're going to marvel. and What? Or maybe you're so fired up, you're going to go be like the shepherds. And you're going to go get your friends and say, they're doing it again at 6 p.m. Come on back. And you're going to let your peeps know. And you're going to post it online. Whatever the case is, God will take your heart. And he'll take that seed and put it on fertile ground today. And we're going to pack it in in prayer so the birds of the air don't snatch it away. Because your life is very important. It's very short. And then comes forever. So bow your heads with me and let's pray and ask God to stir us up and to ignite us and put us right where he wants us to be. Father, in Jesus' name, now we gather as one in great freedom that you have purchased for us. That we can come boldly into your throne of grace It's just nuts that we can talk to God right now A guy on stage with a beard that's too big Can talk to you just like this It's nuts We realize that it's, it's, it's your caliber of love And commitment to us And so we're so thankful And we ask that we would be like these three I just read about That we would ponder these truths That we would marvel at these truths And that we would herald these truths And all of this would happen through the word That is preached and heard and believed and received I pray against the spirit of doubt, Lord, and fear, against the spirit of pride and sin, against all the stuff that just keeps us small, keeps us immature. For all of that I have, I apologize for who I am naturally. I just want to be like these shepherds and like those people and like Mary. I just want to have that joy of the Lord. And I pray, God, that would be all of ours today, that you would be glorified and we would be blessed, that we would be a better people for spending time with you. Bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll tell you what, the whole of scriptures is a series of waves of God declaring, which then settles, and eventually we see. God just says it. This is how it's going to go. And we can react however we want. We can kick and scream and splash and cry and moan. And God says, well, I'm going to do it. And that settles it. Eventually we see it. That's the whole of scripture. Old to new. All of it, God says it. That settles it. I don't doesn't matter how you respond. This invigorates me. Even today, I've just been thinking about this. The baby Jesus would be born to Mary. The angel shows up, Mary, Mary, highly favored amongst women. And then he goes on to tell her what's gonna happen. Doesn't ask her for cooperation, for help. Doesn't ask her her opinion or her thoughts. He says, this is, this is going to happen. Okay, I'm just, it's kind of a public service announcement. It's a PSA, boom, I'm doing this. God, I'm gonna use the word, enforces his plan of redemption and love, purpose, heart, and forgiveness upon humanity. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for his love for me that he doesn't wait for my cooperation. He says, I'm doing this. This is what you need. And so he sends Jesus through Mary, and all of the declarations of God are yes and amen. Now, here's the question, though. How many of you guys, with God's declarations, find yourself getting impatient from time to time? Let me just ask a different question. How many of you guys are just impatient? Like, you're an American, you're impatient. Anybody? Okay. You go to a restaurant, you ask for a ranch, and like 36 seconds goes by, and you're ready to walk. You know? I'm out of here. I'm out of here taking my food with me. Like, I want that ranch, you know what I'm saying? And we just get so impatient. A couple minutes goes by. You know, I can't believe it. Or maybe it's not just a a restaurant situation. Maybe it's a couple hours, someone's late, and you're like, oh, you know. Or what if somebody says something to you, and a day goes by? or maybe a week. How many of you give up after a month? I'm just not going to wait anymore. This person not getting their act together, this thing, I just, I don't even have a month of patience within me. How about a year? (laughs) How about a decade? Most of us are completely different people from decade to the next. We completely change. We let go. We don't hold on. We're moving on. And yet God throughout history, not just in moments and hours and days and weeks and decades, but millenniums, it's thousands, centuries, hundreds. God declares stuff and says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it my way, my time, for my purposes. Well, what do we do? You trust me. You, you worship me. Trust and worship are pretty basic Christian principles, aren't they? Trust and worship. I trust the Lord. I worship the Lord. Trust, it's pretty, we just worship. You know, I trust the Lord. Listen. Trusting the Lord and worshiping the Lord, I think, are very easy to say you do. Let me give you a different adjective, a different verb, a different... Colorful word to help you understand what trust and worship really looks like Trust and worship should look like enjoyment You're really enjoying god Did you know you can trust the lord in the midst of your situation at least so you say but in your Visage how you look you're not trusting anything but yourself and even then you're doing pretty bad at it There's yeah, Have you ever seen somebody enjoy something? Like, it's, like, it's contagious like They actually are enjoying this they're not just going through the motions. They're not just checking the big box, you know, when you fill out your forms. What religion are you? I'm a Christian for sure, duh. You look like you got baptized in pickle juice, whatever, you know. Christian. <laughs> if you're a Christian, if you are, okay, and I hope you all are, and I hope you realize who you are, if you forgot you were, it should be marked by a great joy, a great joy in the midst of the middle. Don't raise your hand. I'll raise it for you. How many guys are in the middle right now of something? You're right dang smack in the middle. You're in the middle of your marriage. You're in the middle of your parenting. You're in the middle of your singleness. You're in the middle of your job. You're in the middle of your retirement. You're in the middle of winter, the winter that will never end. You're in the middle, always. Even when you get to the end, you're still in the middle of something. And the challenge is, am I going to trust and worship? Duh. But am I going to enjoy God? Because Mary and Joseph, they were in the middle. It's a great story. We studied it last week. These guys, they went to Bethlehem and had a baby and no room in the inn and mangers and ah, sheep and all this stuff and shepherds. And it's all very manger, poetic, and scenic. To them, though, it was very chaotic and difficult, very unfortunate and hard. Okay? God had given to them his power and provision and will. They had miraculous babies in their belly and angelic intervention, all kinds of cool stuff going down. But they also had all kinds of trial Sacrifice, difficulty, confusion, and pain Right there in the middle Same in, same day And if you're not careful as a Christian you'll, you'll demand one or the other And you won't be able to understand Both of them intention. You'll accidentally say Well this pain and difficulty and confusion And this challenge I'm having with my family Or in my marriage or my finances This obviously Means that I'm out of bounds Or God's not good or something's wrong Or I need to postpone joy until things get right <laughs> Or you, like a Christian today, can say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get into his word. I'm going to believe it. He said it. That settles it. I'll see it. It'll happen. It'll happen. Most likely he's not going to tell me when and how it's going to happen because I'd be a weirdo. Okay, I would would act differently. I wouldn't act by faith. Instead, I'd be acting by sight. And so God gives us his instruction and waits and does things his way. We get impatient, but I just need to declare to you, God's not tripping at any point, at any way. in in any time right now so i don't know what your problem is right now what your major deal is maybe it's your kids maybe they're just you're just so scared for them there's there's things that you're seeing you just ah just ah listen enjoy the lord and worship and trust him maybe it's your marriage oh this is so difficult this is so difficult obviously we're not in god's will really what if it's just a challenge that God wants to walk you through? Or maybe it's in your singleness, and you just wonder, how long, Lord? How long? And you need to trust and worship him and enjoy him in the process. Or maybe you're upside down financially, and there's, I'll get happy once I win the lottery. I just need to buy a few more tickets today. You know, whatever. Don't postpone joy. Enjoy him now, in the middle. It takes faith to do that, Okay you got to be a person of the word. you got to be in it to win it, and you got to be believing that he's going to do it. This whole story started with Zacharias. Remember Zacharias, a great man of God, a good guy, an old guy. And the angel showed up to him and said, here's what God's going to do. And he's like, I don't know about that, and began to offer his own two cents in counsel. Like, oh, have you seen my wife? She is super duper old, like dinosaur old. Like, it's not going to work. <sighs> Read it. And the angel's like, really? I'm, okay, I stand before God, I do what I do. And he he responded wrong, listen, and he lost then his ability to hear and speak because he heard God saying, I'm gonna do this and responded wrongly. Now, when you hear God say he's going to do something and respond rightly, you know what happens? You hear more and you speak more. You believe, not just your circumstances and the pain and the problems, but you believe the pure and Clear words of God that are spoken to you. So here's the question I'm going to ask you right now. This is for you, okay? Be honest with yourself. How's your walk right now with God? Are you hearing Him? Well, when Pastor Luke talks, I can hear some stuff. Yeah, I guess. Are you believing Him? Well, I've believed Him. Are you seeing Him do stuff? This question's for you. Well, I've seen him. Don't raise your hand, but I'm one of those guys that have been doing this for like 20 years now. So I've got a bunch of historical Christianity that is so fun to think about, okay? Stories that are so old. They're so fun. And if I'm not careful, I'll be deceived into thinking that my historical Christianity is my present Christianity. These great stories that, that I have, these great things that I've experienced. And God says, hey, that's cool, man. Whoa, cool. How are you doing now, today? Where's your walk at? Right now are you hearing seeing are you speaking of the things of god Does it come to your lips naturally or is it something you have to shake into And then offer what is it It reminds me of a story in the old testament Old testament stories are oftentimes principles of new testament truth and then second Kings six elisha The successor of Elijah, Elisha the prophet, is running a school of ministry. He's got a bunch of prophets with him, and they're all working one day, building themselves a little place to worship. And there's this one cat, and he's got an axe, and he reaches back, and he's chopping down a tree. Boom, boom. And the Bible says that he swings back, and the axe head flies off the handle of the stick into the water. And the guy loses his cutting edge. He loses his power. And instead of continuing to just go through the motions, you know, with the stick trying to get a tree down, can you just imagine what that would look like? Instead, he goes to Elisha, and he humbles himself, says, bro, I was working hard, and I lost my cutting edge. The axe is gone, and behold, alas, master, it was a borrowed axe. It wasn't even my power, and Elisha is such a cool cat. He's like, where's it happen at? He's like, right over here, and right here, and Elisha grabs a stick. The prophet Elisha grabs a stick and breaks it and throws it in the water right where the axe head sank, and when the stick hits the water, the axe head floats to the top. A miracle, Now, if I was this prophet, this young guy, I would say, I've lost a bunch of money, too. You know, find me something else, some gold medallion. He didn't do that. Instead, he grabs the axe head and goes back to work. Now, here's the point. It's just a weird story. It's a miracle. This guy, though, had lost his cutting edge. He could have gone through the motions. But instead, he went to the prophet and prayed and asked for help. And the prophet asked him a simple question. Where would you lose your power? Where, Where? where did you lose your cutting edge? Where, where did this go down at? And oftentimes in your Christianity and in my Christianity, we have to ask ourselves, am I, am I still sharp? Do I still have a cutting edge? Or am I still doing, am I right where I need to be? That was a simple question I asked y'all. Are you hearing, seeing, believing, speaking? I don't know if I am. Well, what's gotten in the way? When the prophet Elisha went and grabbed the stick, that is a piece of a tree, and threw it in there, the tree always speaks of the cross of Christ. Speaks of intimacy with Jesus, communion with him and who he is and what he's done for us. And when that stick hit the water, there was healing, there was revelation. So too, when you and I lose our cutting edge, which is going to happen, you're going to find yourself wandering, doing things you shouldn't do, going places you shouldn't go, saying things you shouldn't say. This is the plight of humanity in the middle. The Bible would say to you, go back to where the blessings were. Go back to where the sweetness was. I've got all kinds of cool times in my life where God was meeting with me in rich ways, where things were really flowing and things were really sharp. And I could easily say, well, it's not like that anymore. That was just a season. Or God would say, really? Why don't you go cultivate that again? Go back to the spout where the blessings come out. Do it! Or you could just be like this guy just working on a tree with a stick. I got this. Not a bag deal. You know, just be that guy. Don't do that. God's so faithful. So faithful to bring you here this morning. He has so much in store for your life. Just like Daniel Fusco at that festival. So many others. He wasn't the only one I met at that festival. So many people now in ministry that I know that are continuing to stay steadfast. Just this last Thursday, me and Pastor Matt were at the Seafood and Wine Festival, volunteering, doing some shutdown stuff for some booths there. And we were walking around there. It's Thursday night, kind of the safe night to be there, if you would. And, and so we're walking around, and as I walked around the corner, it's about 8.45, and it was like 72 below zero. It was real cold. Okay, it was cold. I kind of wanted to just go home and saw this crowd of people. I recognized a lot of them, but not all of them. But one person I didn't know at all. Everyone said hi and all. This one guy just kept staring at me, hands in his pocket, from a distance. And as we got closer, he just kept looking. And he was looking at me in such a way, I grabbed my weapon. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. i just messing with you. But I, but I would, but anyways, and so I, I realized, okay, this guy has, I don't know what's going on with this particular person. I got closer and talked to my friends that I did know, and he just kept staring, and finally he introduced himself. He said, I've never met you before in my life. He said, but I've been watching the stream from, from Eugene, It's where I live. I've been watching the last two weeks, and in my living room, in tears, the Lord ministering to me in my condition, through you. He said, I can't believe you're here right now. This doesn't make any sense. That you're here right now, and God's doing a work. And he began to be very vulnerable. And he began to say, I I once was real hot and sharp. I'm not right now. But I know that God is going to do something. I began to just listen. And I was kind of cold. I wanted to go. I wanted to just finish up the conversation. But I decided to stay. I was like, I know what's happening. This is a divine moment. This is legit. This is happening. And so with Pastor Matt and, and Ronnie and, and, and Brian and myself, I said, let's pray. I'm not leaving. Seafood and Wine Festival. Going on at the time, I said, let's pray. And we got in this prayer huddle. People all around us, we just prayed and asked God and claimed that God was going to be faithful in his life and our life and all of our lives for his glory and in his ways. And it was so legit and so rich. And I was so encouraged at both his vulnerability, but more than that, listen, God's ability. Okay, God's ability. To reach into your life and my life at any given time. Like baby Jesus. Hey, I'm coming. Doesn't matter if you're not ready. Doesn't matter what you think. I'm doing this. Why? Because I love you so much. I'm going to get crazy. I'm going to get crazy. I'm going to save everybody. I'm going to do things now. And if you know that that's God's heart and character, you're going to be fired up also. You're going to want to buy a Jesus is real shirt today. And you're going to want to do it. And you're going to want to walk it. And you're going to want to cultivate it. Here's how it starts though. It comes... By going back to the spot where the blessings come out, by being in the book, believing the book and then sharing the book, such a simple message. But look at verse 18 again, this is what I started, I read, it says, and those who heard it, they marveled at the things that were spoken in them by the shepherds. They just marveled, they're like, no way, no way, and they just marveled. What does that mean to marvel? It means to double click on something, to meditate on it, to take a seat and be like, "No way." No way. And they started thinking about it. The shepherds were like an angel showed up. Once the angel got done talking, 10,000 angels showed up, almost blinded us. Then we went and investigated. There it was, just like he said. It was just crazy. No way. And when you marvel, meditate, and muse on the things of God, it's like cultivating that sharpness and that purpose as men and as women married and single and you begin to then find your focus and look at the next verse verse 19 I just read this to you it says but Mary she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart Mary she's like 15 or 16 brand new baby no room in the inn she sees and hears these shepherds report and she just ponders it she doesn't marvel with one another she's like I'm just gonna think about this okay that's a right reaction I'm gonna think about this I'm gonna take this to my heart and then the next group is the group we've been talking about. Look at verse 20. It says, then the shepherds, they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And these guys are who I want to be. They're fired up. They'd had a divine interaction with this angel. They'd investigated and seen. They had confirmed and realized. And then they went out and lived their lives on purpose. Have you guys seen this happen to somebody before? Or once they were lost, but now they're found. Once they were just doing their own thing in the middle. You're always going to be in the middle, okay? Can I just remind you of that? You're always going to be in the middle. Even if you're like these shepherds, they went right back to the middle, okay? Where did Mary and Joseph go? To the middle, okay? What about the other people we're going to see in the story? They're living in the middle. When do we get to the mansion part? Don't, don't rush that part. That'll be, you know, you'll get there. Now's the middle. How are you going to stay fired up and stoked? How are you going to stay sharp and hot, okay? Get in the book. Get the book in you. Believe it and receive it. It's very, very simple, but very profound as well, and the Lord is so faithful to call us back to do in us what needs to be done. As a matter of fact, let's keep reading now. Look at verse 21. We're going to do Bible study now. I'm going to teach you the word of God. We're going to get through a couple of verses today, and I want you to apply these to your heart and be encouraged. My whole goal is that you would be encouraged as men and women, as moms and dads, as business owners and entrepreneurs and people in this town. It says this, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, well, his name was called Jesus, and the name that was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Stop right there, eyes up here. They're in Bethlehem. I don't know if they had family there for those eight days, but after eight days, whether they went back to Nazareth or not, it doesn't say where. But on the eighth day, eight days after Christmas, if you would, eight days after baby Jesus was born, on the eighth day now, they present him to a priest and have him circumcised, that is the cutting away of his flesh, and he's named Jesus. A couple of things you need to understand. This was prescribed, that is, it was supposed to happen, to all males in the Israel lineage. On the eighth day, if you were an Israelite, you were to be circumcised physically. Primarily to identify with God. You were different than the rest of the world. Other nations, other tribes, other peoples did not do this custom. This custom was brought down from Abraham and his kids. And this was what made the children of Israel, at least physically, different, set apart than the rest of the world. So to Christians, Jews, anyone who looks to God, there's supposed to be some sort of separation from the rest of the world that identifies you, at least outwardly, in that inward connection between God. This was prescribed. It was the fulfillment of the law, too. If you didn't do this to your eight-day-old baby boy, you wouldn't have fulfilled the law. I say that to say this. Baby Jesus is like, meh, meh, he's just a baby. Had his parents not done this for him, had he not fulfilled the law, he couldn't have then died in your place perfect. He had to go through the ceremonial washings and dedications and circumcisions of his baby days in order to be perfect perfect. So when this happens, it's just so fun to me to see that God is controlling everything, even to the smallest. Now, let's just be honest. This is in Leviticus chapter 12. Okay, it says, when a baby comes out, eight days later, circumcise the boy. Now, if you read the rest of Leviticus 12, and are all of Leviticus and some of the Old Testament in general, have you ever read anything in there that's totally weird? You're like, that's weird. <laughs> I'll just keep reading. You know what I'm saying? That's weird. You're like, what is that in there for? This is one of those things where you might, if you just think, that's kind of weird, you know, what's God's problem? Like, leave the babies alone. Why The babies cry naturally. Why are you trying to make the babies cry? You know? You ever been? I got two boys. I was there when they were circumcised. And maybe my wife stayed. She, she left state, you know, get out of town. You know, gonna, they're going to make our baby boys cry, you know. Listen, I already told you the main reason. It was spiritual. It was to signify that they were set apart, that they had done away with their flesh, cut away that flesh in order to be intimate with the Lord in that way. It's just physical. That's God's deal to cause us to be different. Why the eighth day, though? You ever think about that? Why the eighth day? My son Noah was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, My son Nemo, because of the calendar, they don't circumcise here in America on Saturdays and Sundays, was circumcised on the sixth day. I just remember I was counting. In that culture, even if it was the Sabbath day, which is a day of non work, non surgery, okay? Rest. If your baby boy was born and then the Sabbath day was the eighth day, you still had to circumcise him. It was a clause within the law. You got to <laughs> circumcise this kid. Interesting. God said to do all that, but didn't then volunteer why. Did you know that in 1939, this is real time, in 1939, science caught up with the Bible? Okay? medical science, doing, doing research, finding when babies are born, that on the first day and second day and third day, fourth day, fifth day, that the bodies of babies are developing their full supply of vitamin K. And on the sixth day and the seventh day, it's not quite there, but on the eighth day, Vitamin K is completely 100% developed and efficient in working in a body of a baby. Now, vitamin K is essential for coagulation and for blood clotting, so when you get cut, you don't bleed out. So God says, when you circumcise these kids, do it on the eighth day, not the sixth day. Now, again, we have modern technology. We can avoid those things these days. But in that day, they didn't know why. He just said, do it on the eighth day. Vitamin K, interesting to me at least. Not just that, but there's another protein. Uh, It's called prothombin. And prothombin is formed also in a brand new baby. And on the third day, prothombin, this plasma protein for the blood that combines with vitamin K, on the third day, it's at 30%. Okay, It's not quite there yet. And on the seventh day, this is interesting, on the seventh day, prothombin, which actually helps with coagulation and clotting, on the seventh day, it's at 100%. But check out what happens on the eighth day. Science. On the eighth day, this prothombin spikes for one time, one day only in your entire life to 110% combined with vitamin K to stop any bleeding and to aid with coagulation and blood clot, all this stuff. Just on the eighth day and here's the children of Israel, okay, ancient days using cutting stones. Like, hey, is vitamin K all in? Do we know anything about vitamin K? I'm making this up. you know? They had no clue. Hey, you guys want to know about prothrombin? Nobody? Okay, me neither. We'll wait for 3,500 years from now. I, here's the point. God said do it, but he never even told him why. Why the eighth day? Now, number eight in biblical numerology is the day, or should I say the number of new beginnings, okay? Eight signifies a new beginning, a new life. So there's lots of takeaways, and it makes sense. But God didn't say, make sure it's the eighth day, and let me give you 14 reasons why, otherwise you won't obey me. He just said to do it, and that's it. How many things are there in the scriptures where God says do this, but I'm not going to tell you why? A lot. A lot. Just, tr- just trust me. You don't even need to raise your hand, but have you come to realize and find out through the hard way that God knows what he's talking about? Dang. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, God's like, don't touch this little burn. And you're like, well, how bad? Ah! And God says, do this. You're like, oh, I don't do that. Well, how do you feel now? Horrible. Well, you should do that, you know? God says to do things. doesn't tell you why. Do it. God will warn you. Listen, in the scriptures, he'll say, don't do it this way, and you might buck and you might resist we do we say well i'm gonna do it my way and god doesn't always tell us why but he does tell us what the real question is is do you trust him well 3,500 years later we see that this makes sense and then also i love this this verse is just so much in it for me and it says that his name was called jesus okay the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We saw John and or Zacharias and Elizabeth kind of arguing with others about his name. His name was prescribed also by the angels. His name's going to be John. God is gracious. And the angels also picking all these baby names. They didn't need babynames.com. Okay, it's real easy for these two. Okay, the name's chosen for you. His name's Jesus, just so you know. Don't name him Hank. Okay? Don't name him Phil. Okay? Don't, don't go with those names. Don't name him JoJo, Joseph. His name's Jesus. Why Jesus? You guys know what Jesus means, right? Okay, it's the derivative of Joshua, Yeshua. Joshua, the one who led the children of Israel into the promised land. Joshua, you know what Jesus means? It means God is my savior. The Lord saves. Now, just this angel's like, oh, by the way, you know what he is? He's your savior, okay? You're going to birth him, Mary. Like, get over it. But he's going to save you, and he's going to save everyone. Don't blow it. Name him Phil or Hank, okay? Name him Jesus. It's very important because he's the savior. And I just need to pound this down real quick. Most of you get this. Jesus Christ is the savior, but there are some people who argue and say, well, what do I need to be saved from? I'm not that bad. I'm, like, I'm literally not doing that bad. If you look around, just watch the news. I'm actually, t- I haven't been on the news in a while. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that how most of you guys think you're doing good? Like, you're not on the news, okay? You're not on News Lincoln County. You're not on Lincoln County Scan, okay? You're not in the America's Ten Most Wanted, you know, whatever. You're not there, so I'm doing good, man. Listen, his name is Jesus because he is the Savior, and he saves us from three things specifically. Three P words. You can memorize these and just think about it later. He saves us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from the power of sin. And he saves us ultimately from the presence of sin. First thing he saves us from is the penalty of sin. Man, sin costs. Every single time there is a cost. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. When you sin, you get a paycheck automatically deposited into your spiritual account. It's like an auto deposit. Just bang right there. When you blow it, you don't even have to be present to cash that check. There's death. And God says, you know what I, I'm going to do? I'm going to absorb that death upon myself. I'll take your sin and the penalty. I will take it. It's called the great exchange. God said, I'll take through Jesus Christ all of your penalties. And then I will bear them and pay for them. And then I will give to you my righteousness. It's crazy town. Jesus said, you can't do this. The penalties are death. Anybody have a little bit of death in their account they can afford to, to pay? You just can't do it. Jesus said, you can't, I'll do it for you. I'm the savior. Sin is, sin, sin. stinks. You guys realize that, right? It takes you further than you want to go, costs you more than you're able to pay, keeps you longer than you were willing to stay. It's a trick every single time. The penalty's been paid for. Not just the penalty, but the power. This is crazy. Some Christian needs to hear this today. The Bible says that greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. That when you become a believer that is in Jesus, God is my salvation. Jesus is. When, when that happens, your penalty's paid for. woo yeah! But you're in the middle. Your penalty might be paid for, but you're still in the war. You're grinding it out. Sin calls you every day. Temptations bombarding you and me. Is it, isn't it crazy these days? It is intense. And if you understand who Jesus is, that he's the Savior and you have been saved, he saves you from the power of sin that he has delivered you, you no longer have to say yes to that call when it rings your phone. You who are struck down by addiction right now or who are struck with something that won't let go or that dominant sin that keeps getting you, you need to understand that the Bible has said the Holy Spirit in you is greater than he who's outside of you. I remember when I was around 21 years old, I was still addicted to nicotine, chewing tobacco, and I remember I wanted to quit, and so I'd gotten down to one dip per day. You know what I'm saying? Just one dip per day. And I remember, though, that day, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody's addiction here or anybody's journey. This is my story. But I remember one day, I just couldn't get through the day without just one little, just a little bit. And the Lord says, you are in chains. You're shackled. The Bible says that all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable, and I will not be brought under the power of any. And the Lord showed me, you're, you're chained. And I got kind of mad. Because I'd been set free, I was a Christian, not chained. I could quit whenever I want. I just don't want to. Then <sighs> I remember I got frustrated at sin, and addiction, chem- chemical addiction, all that. So I just said, I don't want to be chained. I am free. I, whom the Lord has set free, is free indeed. And I began to take it to the next level of getting rid of that. And that's the same with every sin. Okay. Any sin, anything that the devil puts on you to constrain you, to mess with you, to bog you down, to make you less, the Bible says, hey, God's given you the tools to break that, to get free from that. The the tools are there. Do you believe it, though? Well, I'm better than some. Don't say that. Say, yes, I need a savior. I need to be delivered. I need the power of sin broken in my life. And may the Holy Spirit guide you and deliver you even today. Not just the penalty and the power. Listen. Jesus is the savior of the world for those who believe and he says and declares that I will one day remove you from the presence of sin. There will be no more tears. There will be no more hurt. There will be no more temptation. There will be no more battle. There is a time and a place where God's salvation will turn not just into sanctification, but it will turn into glorification where we are just like him. Right now though the battle rages. He's given to victory. Over sin and death. The devil wants to trip you up. Don't quit fighting till you win. Can I just encourage you in that way? Whatever your battle is. Whatever your scenario is. Whatever your burden is. Well, I've been doing this for so long. Keep fighting. Don't give in to sin and temptation. Ask the Lord for power. And the Lord will deliver you. There's a great battle for guys, isn't there, right now? Great battle for sanctity of mind and eyes, keeping men pure. Fight, fight back. Ask God to give you the power to overcome, to endure, to resist temptation. I remember early on as a young man battling lust and temptation, a verse was given to me that says, The eyes of man are never satisfied. And it dawned on me, wait a minute, never satisfied? Because Satan keeps tricking me into thinking if I do this, I'll get satisfaction. And the Bible says, No, you actually won't. It's a big trick. And when I saw it that way, I (laughs) said, I don't want to be tricked anymore. I'm not going to buy into that anymore and think that that's going to bring me where I want to go. It actually won't. And I began to, through God's word, find myself saying no to sin and temptation, realizing cognitively that's not going to do what I want it to do. No thanks. And God will give you the power over sin and temptation and eventually deliver us. His name's Jesus. It's very important that you see this. And I just love zooming out and all this on the eighth day they fulfilled the love they're doing. Mary and Joseph, these two young poor hippies, okay, they got no clue what's going on. Not like we do. And so, too, in your life, you don't have a clue what's going on. Not like he does. And if we knew what they knew, we would do what they did with great joy. And I want you and I want me to have great joy today. I don't want to be burdened and bogged down and bothered and weirded out and answering the phone call when sin calls. I want to know that Jesus saves, that he's done everything right. Let's keep looking. Let's see a proper response here. It says, verse 22... That when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And then to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay, stop right there, eyes up here. 40 days later now, after the eighth day he was circumcised and named, 40 days later, whether they're in Bethlehem or whether they're in Jerusalem proper or whether they're back in Nazareth where they lived for the rest of their lives, I don't know where they're at, but they go to Jerusalem on the 40th day as prescribed by the law. This is what God said to do for parents that had babies 40 days after mom had birth and had time to bond with the kid and relax and heal. The dad looks at mom and says, hey, road trip, let's go to Bethlehem, to Jerusalem, which would have been 80 to 120 miles, depending on where they were coming from. Now, I don't know about you. Traveling with kids is interesting. You know what I'm saying? Like, thank the Lord for DVDs in cars, you know, and for uh, seatbelt restraints, you know, and all those things that we have now, restraints, you know, and all the... Can you imagine how difficult it would have been? But in order to fulfill the law, okay, these parents did the right thing. Listen, they fulfilled the law and they took their kid to church, if you would. They said, this is what we got to do. This is what who we are. We're Mary and Joseph, and this is we could have just done it in Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Nazareth. We could have stayed home, but they saw the law and did it. It's a very simple application. But the greatest impetus is upon you parents for your kids in their upbringing. You aunts and uncles and grandparents and grandmas. You guys and gals. Now, guess what? We're teaching your kids right now upstairs. There's 8 to 10-year-olds there. The 5 to 7 are upstairs. The 3 to 4 are down here. The 0 to 2 are here. And the unattended rooms here, that's where you just leave your kid and hope it works out. You go with your kid, okay? That's the rules, okay? And it does work out. Anyway, we're teaching your kids. We love it. Did you know that that's a byproduct of the church, not a prime product? The prime product of the church is parents teaching their kids, okay? Raising their kids, loving them, discipling them. We love to teach your kids. We're going to keep doing it. VBS will send your kids to camp. We're just going to keep doing it. Those are additives, and, and they, they help. But the Bible commands parents to be involved with their kids and, and doing what needs to be done. When we first had kids, my wife and I, I remember we had Noah, and it was just very difficult to recover and childhood and all the rest, and, and kids, and then we had another one right after that. And People would ask me, how's your wife? haven't seen her in a while. And I was like, we have too many kids. What do you expect? You know? and one person in particular I said, oh yeah, she goes to another church now. <laughs> and they responded, oh, okay, that's cool. I was like, that's not cool. I said what's wrong with you? I said no, she's at home. We're just trying to recover. It's hard, you know. Now my youngest is 5 and, and my kids love church and we love coming here, but there's it's difficult and you got to make that decision as the parent. We're doing this. Recently a couple months ago, maybe 5 or 6 months ago, I was getting my hair cut at King's Barber uh, by Pablo Tafoya. He's sitting over here on my right and I just love Pablo and uh, was able to coach with him. And his kids and my boys a couple years back and and uh, he's gone to church here before, but through certain circumstances, just kind of stopped going. You've all been there. Stopped going for a season. And even in his own testimonies, I just kind of built a, a defense around my heart and kind of had my own reasons. And that's, that's where I was at. And he's got three sons, Pablo and Adam and little Lukey, who I used to coach. And His own story, little Lukey asked him one day, about six months ago, eight months ago, hey, dad, how come we don't go to church anymore? Oh. out of the mouth of babes. And Pablo heard that, and he says, Phew, that's, that's a good question. We're going this Sunday. And since then, it's came back to go into church, and it's so fun to hear his story. And we fellowship, and he cuts my hair, and it's very important to be nice to your barber while they're cutting your hair. you know. <laughs> and, uh, but the fellowship we have is so rich in the Lord. I look forward to it every time I get to sit under him, and we just talk about God. And it's just so fun to see him through his son saying, we need to go back to church. And they're just doing it, and it's so simple. But these guys make an attempt. Can I just say, you're here today. can I can't preach in the choir. There's people online watching, streaming at home. You need to be in church. No, I'm, just I'm just kidding. I understand. Okay? My wife's at home right now watching the stream with her kids, uh, my kids, so here's the deal though. These guys had this ability to sacrifice and do what needed to be done. As a matter of fact, look at sacrifice. It says that when they got there, they brought two turtle doves, okay, two pigeons to the Lord. Okay, I don't know if you understood the pigeons were in the Bible. Pigeons are here. They're right there. They're biblical. Seagulls you'll never see in the Bible. They're satanic, okay? They're not in, not in there. They don't get up. I'm just kidding. They're not that satanic. But what do you call a seagull that flies over the bay? A bagel. It's good stuff right there. You can use that later. Your, anyways, it says here, listen, back, back on track, sorry. It says they show up to Jerusalem. To dedicate their baby boy and give it offering a sacrifice and the sacrifice they gave is two turtle doves now in the old testament it doesn't say to bring two turtle doves it actually says bring a lamb okay bring a lamb when you have a baby boy bring a lamb it says but if you're poor if you're extremely poor then you can bring two turtle doves okay if you can't afford a lamb a lamb would be kind of expensive Then you can just bring two turtle doves. And I was meditating on this earlier this week, thinking turtle doves. Nobody raises pigeons or turtle doves. They're what's flying around. God raises turtle doves and makes a way in this offering sacrifice Things like, if you can't afford it, I'll make some birds. You go catch the birds and give them back to me, okay? I'll just go ahead and provide even your offering and sacrifice for you to give to me. Even with the lambs. God's like, I make lambs. That's what I do. And healthy lambs make more lambs. And it's just, God is so benevolent and kind. Even in his... Request of sacrifice and service and giving. He says, I'm going to ask you to give to me, but what you give to me, I'm going to give to you first. The same is true these days when people give of their tithe and offering. When you give of your sacrifice and your earnings, and my parents taught me at a young age to give 10% of everything I make, and so without fail, I still give 10% of everything I make, and it's not a problem. It's easy for me, it's worship, it's joyful. But God says, even the money I give you to give to me was still from me. It's all, I just love you, God. I want you to be part of this. Now, the sacrificial system that is animals given to God is in twofold purpose. The first one is, is because God is so holy that there needed to be some sort of demonstration of sacrifice in death and bloodshed, which is crazy. In order to have intimacy, somebody had to die. God says, "All animals. Now, eventually, Christ would be the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world and would bridge that gap. This picture of animal sacrifice was completed in Christ. But God says, I'm so holy, but I love you so much, so let's do a sacrificial system so, you, so we can have fellowship. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. It's going to be costly because there is sin involved. But secondly, not just to allow for intimacy, which is the greatest, but also he says, I want you to give to me. Of your first fruits, sacrifices, and offerings. I want you to be a giver. Why? Well, because money and wealth and giving reveals our hearts. Jesus will teach later in Luke chapter 12, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Somehow, money and wealth just expose who we are. They, they just do. It's so, so wonderful. It's such a good tool. Whether you have a lot or a little, your heart is fully exposed. You don't need to have a lot of wealth in order to be exposed by wealth. You can have a very little amount and see where your true heart and your sanctity and joy come from. It has nothing to do with how much you have, but how much you have has you. And so God says, hey, I want you to be a giver. I want you to be generous. And I'm going to, guess what? I'm going to take care of you. Even your generosity, whether you know it or not, what you give away, I gave to you first. <laughs> and if you give away more, I'm going to give to you more. God is so kind that he allows us into this system to, to give, to be like him. And when you give, you become like your father. For, God's, for God so loved the world that he gave. He, he's a giver. God asks you and me to be givers and to be generous of our money, our time, our talent. He says, don't be stingy. That's weird. It's nothing like me. You're my kids. You're my offspring. I'm not stingy and I'm not broke. I'm generous and I'm rich. Would you act like me? That's what he says. It's crazy. And if you do it, he says, I'll, I'll back you. I'll back your play. Test me. See if you can outgive me. Malachi chapter three. See if you can outgive me. Just try it. You give. I'm gonna give. I'll give more to you. You need to know this, because churches have abused this. Okay, churches have made God look like He's poor, like we need to raise money for the kingdom of heaven, like if we don't do it, He won't be able to. That's not the case. God does ask us to give and to be generous, though, not to raise money. Okay, God's not doesn't have a thermometer in heaven. Like we gotta get a little more. We're, We're broke up here. God's not trying to raise funds, but he is trying to raise kids, okay? He's very serious about it. I got three kids. And my commitment to them. Last night I was standing in Noah and Nemo's room, just standing there, they're sleeping. I was praying for them, just re- rethinking my commitment to their well-being, that they're men, young men. It's my job to raise them up. So too, God looks at you and says, my job is to raise you up, and I'll raise you up right, I will make you to be like me in giving and generosity through all these various ways. And we see here, again, Mary and Joseph doing just that, giving these turtle doves. I would say this. There are those, again, who abuse wealth and understanding of wealth and have false teaching and prosperity gospel garbage that say that if you're going to be in the favor of God, you'll have lots of money. That's just the way it works. If you have lots of money, you're in the favor of God. Even in that culture, it was thought to be so. <laughs> Apparently, God didn't favor Mary and Joseph and Jesus very much born into poverty and lived in poverty his whole life. God says, yeah, that's my favor, can you handle it? And they were righteous. It's not a matter of how much you have, ever, ever. If you have a lot, that doesn't matter. If you have a little, that doesn't matter. It's how much it has you. When Jesus was in the temple, a woman gave two mites, two little pennies, along with a bunch of people who were given big bags of money. Jesus never once was impressed with the big bags of money. Instead, he stopped everything and said, boys, did you just hear that? Two pennies given out of great need and sacrifice, out of great heart and worship. This woman gave more than anybody this day. It's often thought that there are two genres of people, rich and poor. Okay, there's actually four. There's the righteous rich and the unrighteous rich, and there's the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. The unrighteous rich are those who have riches, but they're unrighteous in their heart They're selfish and stingy and not thankful for what God has given to them. Then there are the righteous rich, those who have money and wealth, and they are thankful and generous and good stewards of their riches. Rich alone doesn't mean you're righteous or unrighteous. It is where your heart's at. It's revealed. So too with poverty, there are the righteous poor, those who are born into poverty and will stay there their whole lives, like Mary and Joseph and Jesus when he died. And their hearts will be pure towards the Lord in their service and trust in the Lord. Then there are the unrighteous poor, those who are in poverty as well, yet are bitter and victims and have all kinds of reasons and excuses for not doing or receiving things the way that God would have. Listen, money reveals our hearts. And whether you're poor or rich, the the root of all evil is what? Okay, some people said money. You said it. I'm just kidding. The love of money. Money's not the root of all evil. Money exposes where our hearts are. It just shows us, you know, shows us, ooh, ooh. It shows our heart. The root of all evil is the love of money. And did you know that when you think that through quickly, you could think, well, rich people sure love money a lot. They must be super evil. Okay. Did you know you can have zero money, zero, and love it a lot? Okay. You don't need to have a lot of money to love it. (laughs) Loving money has nothing to do with how much you have. Loving it will lead to weirdness, smallness, funkiness. Having a lot or having a little, that's not the problem. It's does it have you. And God says, hey, let's, let's do a sacrificial system so we can be intimate one with another and so you can also give and I'll give back to you and it'll be cleansing and, and it'll be awesome in that way. Well, these guys living in poverty do just that, fulfilling the law. I want you to see this last character. Okay, We have just a little bit more time to introduce Simeon to you. It says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is so cool. Luke, again, includes this story. He's the only one that talks about Simeon. In all of his eyewitness accounts, he asked Mary and Jojo, how'd it go when you guys brought him? And we brought him to the temple and the two turtle doves. And then this old cat showed up. he's like, old cat, tell me about this old cat. Now, old cats are crazy. We've got some old cats here, right? Looking for you old people. (laughs) Old people rule, right? You guys figured this out? The older you get, man, it's just so legit. And you're walking with the Lord. And this guy, Simeon. His name literally means hearing and obeying. That's what it means, Simeon. It's hearing and obeying. And it says to describe him, he's just and devout. Just means he's, he's normal. He's on the level. He's practical. He's helpful. He's, he's awesome. And devout means he's devoted and he's spiritual and he's deep and he's intimate. He's both and. This, I like this guy. You know why? I have met Christians who are devout but not just. And I've met Christians who are just but not devout. Okay? A Christian who is just but not devout says they are a Christian. They know how to fill out the form, and they're very practical. They can help you change your oil or maybe do a move job for you or mow your lawn or help you with your taxes. They're very they're, they're practical people, but when it comes to their devotion, you kind of just wonder if they're really even connected to God. There's just kind of an imbalance there. And then I've met other Christians who are so devoted and so spiritual that if you ask them for any practical help at all, hey, we're doing a move job. You want to come help us move anything? No way. I'm totally fasting and praying forever you know, whoa! you know, I don't I don't touch boxes. It might make my knees hurt. You know whatever. And there's there's the, I've met both. This guy was the perfect blend. He could throw down and pray and be devoted, lay hands and just wait and anticipate, but he was just he knew stuff. He's, these words are so indicative. How did he do this for his olden days? It doesn't say how old he is. Tradition, not Bible tradition says he was 103, 106, 113, depending on what tradition you go with. <laughs> okay, either way he is old, okay? And he's in the temple. And the Bible had revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he saw the consolation of Israel. You know what that means? One day, somehow, through his devotion, the Holy Spirit said, Hey, bro, you're not going to die until you see God show up as the Messiah. What? So he lived every day as a young person and as a middle-aged person and as an olden person with the anticipation of seeing God show up as Messiah. Can you imagine being 103 years old? You're like... I'm 103 now. Like, I'm just saying, you know, my vitamin K is not kicking anymore. You know, I need some help. And the Holy Spirit reveals to him on this day, this is the day, nudges him in the spirit, and he shows up. We can learn a lot from Simeon how to stay faithful. I'm just gonna say this I wanna stay faithful, I wanna stay just, I wanna stay practical and devout, and you know, I wanna be normal, I wanna be a normal Christian, just loves people, helps, helpful normal, but I also want to be devoted. I want to be intimate. I want to hear from him. I want to be consecrated. I want to be, how? He lived with hope that Christ would show up anytime. Okay? And guess what happened? Christ showed up late in the game. And where was he? Ready. Simeon showed up. When Jesus comes in, 40 days, 40 day old baby, he walks up to Jesus and grabs him. Israel has been saved. What? He believed. He had heard. He anticipated. The anticipation of the Lord's arrival changes everything in our lives. Even last night as I was studying this through and thinking through God's arrival, the anticipation of what God would do, that God would show up at any time. And it helped me to stay focused and to not be distracted as I sat there and thought to myself, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing in, in my circles? Am I, let me just tell you what the Bible says. First John 3.3. 3. John, who's olden before he died, said if you have the hope of his return, his revealing, you're going to purify yourself. You're not going to be doing tomfoolery, okay? You're not going to be getting weird. You're not going to be getting all funky. You're, if you believe he could return at any time. By the way, can I just raise my hand and say, we've lost this kind of passion in our church. I really think that there's, the majority have lost this passion of his return. How many of you guys thought he was going to come back in 2020, or 20, 20 2020 k what was it called, Y2K, 2000, the year 2000, and I was ready, dude, I had my zero degree sleeping bag and my buckets of rice, you know, I'm going to live in the mountains, life goes on, yet if you have the hope of his return, you don't get distracted, you stay focused. Let me tell you what Jesus said, this is even more to the point, Jesus said there would be a generation. That would say, alas, my master's return is delayed. He's not going to come back. He said he would, but he's not here. Jesus gave a story and said there will be a group of people that say his return is delayed. So they're going to do two things. Number one, they're going to start partying harder, drinking, getting crazy. He said they're going to just get get crazy. Second thing that the group of people that aren't hoping for his return, the second thing they're going to do is they're going to become brutal and mean and start to beat other servants. Here's the thing I've seen in my own life, and maybe you've seen it in yours. A callousness, a cynicism, a sarcasm, a hardness of heart, a distraction of spirit, maybe even a casting off of restraints to just, ah, just, yeah, whatever you're letting in. Jesus said, careful, careful. Look at Simeon, this boy. He shows up this day and grabs baby Jesus and believes that he is the consolation. You, by the way, can't do this moving forward. You don't have enough strength and power. You're just, you're, you're, you just don't. But the Holy Spirit within you, Jesus has come on time, as he said, and he's coming back again. And when he comes back, he'll give you the power to be a servant who's ready and willing and waiting and watching in grace and in Christ. Simeon, this guy. I'm going to have the worship team come up because we're out of time. But I'm going to keep reading a few more verses just so you see this. Because it says in verse 27... It says, Simeon came by the spirit into the temple, and the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of of your people Israel. Stop right there, eyes up here. I don't know what Simeon really thought When he went to the temple that day The Holy Spirit told him Today's the day, bro He's like, what? For real? And he showed up Can you imagine? What was he expecting? The Messiah's here Was he expecting a baby With two dirty hippies That walked from Nazareth? I bet he was expecting some dude Maybe with a comb over You know? Maybe a Bernie Sanders type You know? Someone's gonna deliver us finally You know? And he walks in He's like a hippie's and a baby? Interesting Interesting, and he chose to believe it And he grabbed this baby boy The body and the blood The man Jesus And he prayed and said, this is it This is the one to bring light to the Gentiles This is the plan, I've waited my whole life And you're about to take communion And you're going to take the body and the blood The elements of communion And you, like Simeon, have a choice today to say, this is it This is it. This is the consolation of Newport. This is the consolation of my own sins, my own failure as a man, my own failure as a woman. This is it. This is where my hope lies, my purpose, and it will drive you and it will invigorate you and it will fuel you moving forward as you surrender to the Lord this morning and say, okay, okay. I would encourage you, don't hold out. Don't sell out, but instead let the Lord give out his Holy Spirit to you even this morning. Would you stand with me? I want everyone to stand right now in the presence of the Lord with me. And Father, as we now stand in your presence and prepare to come to the table of communion to celebrate what you've done and who you are and to, like Simeon, say, wow, that's not necessarily how I would have planned it or seen it, but I believe it. As we take this cup and take this bread and say, yep, the broken body of Christ and his spilled blood is enough. I believe it. That settles it. And I will see it. Jesus, be honored as we come to your table. May we be set free from our sin and shame and condemnation. And may we be charged up, Lord, to marvel and to ponder and to share. You've done all things well, whether it be circumcision on eight days. Whether it be a virgin birth, whether it be Simeon, whether it be sacrifice and offering, you are legit and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.